Starry Voices. Demystifying Zero Trust is a podcast created by Istari, a global cybersecurity platform. At Istari, our mission is to help create a digitally resilient future for the businesses we work with. This podcast series explores the strategy of Zero Trust as a way to help build cyber resilience. Today, we're having a conversation with John Moran, Technical Director at Tufin about policy management and governance in zero-trust environments, risk quantification, and how their tools can help manage policy centrally across multiple platforms. Thanks, John, for joining today. Really appreciate it. And I think the audience is going to hear some pretty interesting stuff from you over at Tufin. Why don't you give us a little brief history about where Tufin started and, and what they do? Yeah, so Tupin was founded back in 2005. We're headquartered in Tel Aviv. We have a U.S. headquarters in Boston, Massachusetts. We have over 500 employees. Since we were founded, our mission has really been around providing visibility, compliance, and automation to network security policies. We say what can talk to what and the who can talk to whom, which is obviously you know critically important when we talk about any sort of zero trust strategy. Our greatest value really has always been in uh, very complex, very heterogeneous, complicated networks, sassy work from home. The need for our sort of single management plane across all these vendors and all these technologies has become even more critical to ensuring visibility and compliance in those networks. DevOps and business transformation has really forced security teams to find new ways to match the speed and agility that today's businesses require. And to remain a business enabler and not a sort of an inhibitor, as they're often seen, and really to remove silos between business units. And we enable that through our uh, automation and our collaborative platform. Awesome. That's a very good point that you've made there around Tufin being able to control and manage all of that traffic throughout the enterprise network. Considering that is such a key aspect of zero trust, what is Tufin's point of view on zero trust just in general? And, and how are you helping clients approach? Yeah, so we see zero trust is not a single product. It's a philosophy. It's a set of guiding principles, right? So zero trust really has to be an executive initiative that's used to guide security strategy and business decisions across the entire enterprise. So individual products like Tufin may become a critical component of that strategy, but the business processes and the executive buy-in we see is really equally important to ensuring that any sort of zero trust strategy meets its intended outcomes. We see zero trust as really a, a journey, a continuous journey, that's actually very similar to what we always talk to our customers about, which is the security policy maturity journey. Zero trust requires a, a very foundational level of visibility, right? We always say you can't protect what you can't see, but you also need that ongoing visibility to ensure that the tenets of, of your zero trust program are being followed. And that sort of leads right into the, the second step of our security policy maturity journey, which is compliance. So to ensure that we're achieving the expected outcomes, we have to ensure that the business maintains continuous compliance with the zero trust initiatives. If we're not continually compliant with those initiatives, then they're really not doing us any good. And we often see security compliance and agility as, as being at odds because you have these manual sort of changes and compliance checks that inhibit the agility. But on the flip side, if you forgo these processes, 
then we often compromise our, our zero trust strategy, right? Where we're sacrificing security for agility. And, and that's where you get to the final step in our maturity journey, which is automation. So our automation strategy includes automated compliance checks to ensure that these changes that you're provisioning to your network don't violate the enterprise's zero trust strategy. And they allow the enterprise to maintain their zero trust state as the network evolves, which we know it's going to continuously do. Yeah, compliance means a lot of things to a lot of organizations. In in some cases, it means regulatory compliance. You're referring to, obviously, just compliance with internal policies, correct? Correct. Yeah, and it could be all of the above, right? We have customers here at Tufin who are in very heavily regulated industries who do have to maintain compliance with, with regulations, but our sort of flexible compliance capabilities allow you to not only look at regulatory compliance, but maybe just compliance with uh, internal policies or best practices, or as I'm sure we'll probably get to at some point, compliance with your zero trust initiatives. How do you define that? And then how do you ensure that as time goes on, you're maintaining that that zero trust policy? So assuming an organization has put together a pretty robust strategy regarding zero trust, how does Tufin's product specifically fit into an ecosystem of what I would call best of breed products that are out there. Yeah, we look at ourselves as part of a layered approach to zero trust that starts on the network. As I said, our our focus is on the what can talk to what and who can talk to whom. And so our solution allows enterprises to define their zero trust requirements in what we call our unified security policy. And the unified security policy is a set of guardrails that define what should be able to talk to what and who should be able to talk to whom. And we can apply that unified security policy uniformly, regardless of the vendor who may be enforcing the security policy at any given point on the network. Requirements are defined in that unified security policy. Any security policy, again, regardless of of where it lives on the network, whether it's on-prem, in the cloud, SASE, SDN, right? Any of those policies we see, regardless of their source, that deviate from those guardrails will be immediately flagged and you can remediate them appropriately, right? But more importantly, we can take these guardrails and we can apply them to our automation strategy so we can catch potential violations of our zero trust program before they're provisioned to the network. So to find that stuff proactively and that helps allow the enterprise to stay agile using automation and DevOps processes while ensuring their continuous compliance with their zero trust program. Awesome. So how has Tufin implemented zero trust internally? Have Has the the framework that was recently released by NIST or what's happening in the marketplace really affected how you've deployed it internally? Yeah, absolutely. We drink the Kool-Aid, right? We have a good product and, and we certainly use it internally. Like I think everybody in the industry, we're still working out exactly uh, what zero trust means and how best to implement it. But we certainly, we practice what we preach. We've deployed uh, with our solution to help shore things to evolve, but we definitely practice what we preach. Tufin originally started, in, at least in my point of view, as a firewall management tool. How has the market changed and the product changed to adopt the zero trust principles and the future capabilities that organizations may need? Yeah, so you're absolutely right. As I said, we were founded in 2005, right? Back when security was focused on the perimeter, the critical assets were secure deep inside your data center. Anything inside was assumed to be trusted and everything outside was untrusted. And as a whole, we've changed the way we look at security and the way we, we view trust. So our policies 
have become much more granular and we never assume trust anymore. We actually, through our unified security policy, we're in a great position to pivot to zero trust, right? Our USP can define guardrails at a very macro level, but we can define guardrails all the way down to the micro segmented level. And we usually see our customers kind of take that approach, right? Where they'll start uh, defining very sort of macro guardrails and then working their way down and fine tuning things as they find violations in their sort of macro program. Uh, They address those and then they can really start to fine tune. What's really changed, I think, is not the policies, but how we're enforcing those security policies now as opposed to 2005, where we're looking at supporting a hybrid, very micro-segmented world. And so we've evolved from just supporting sort of the traditional firewalls to managing security policies in the cloud, uh, software-defined networks, SASE and SD-WAN, and even microservices policies, which we're seeing more and more of today. That's a very good point about the microservices policies. How is Tufin enabling zero trust in the cloud? Yeah, we have obviously our traditional enterprise suite, which has cloud capabilities. We also have our secure cloud product. That is a relatively new product to us. That's been around for about two years. And really what we wanted to do was bring DevOps and security together. We talked about a little bit about that disconnect between security and agility, right? DevOps wants to be very agile. Security wants to be very secure. And, and very often security doesn't have a whole lot of visibility into what the DevOps team is doing and vice versa. And that was a gap that we saw in the industry. And so our secure cloud product enables enterprise enterprise DevOps teams to have those same sort of security policy guardrails that we've applied in the sort of traditional enterprise space. Security can define those and allow DevOps to continue to work in their agile way, but within those sort of guardrails, right? So you can incorporate that into your CICD tool chain and do those same sort of compliance checks that we talked about as part of the part of the development and the promotion process to ensure that any of those sort of risky services or risky configurations that may pop up in development don't get exposed in production environments. That's a very good point. If you think about how DevOps works, it's really about quickly releasing, iterate, go back, correct, etc. How is the tool allowing developers to see the security issues or architectural changes that need to be made to address things like zero trust. Yeah, one of the one of the approaches in, in DevOps is fail fast, and that's great. But we don't want that failing fast to be a, a fast exposure of a critical vulnerability. So what we want to do is enable that cross-functional collaboration between security and and DevOps, right? So that the DevOps team can fully understand what are the guardrails, what are the security requirements uh, that we have to work within. But perhaps more importantly, that security has visibility into what the DevOps teams are, are doing. We talked a lot in the past about shadow IT, and and some of that I think has has been resolved. But you have a, a similar issue with DevOps. The application teams may be doing things, maybe standing up services, new applications that security teams aren't even aware of, and they can't protect those. And and you can't ensure that zero trust is being applied to those new applications, those new services or workloads when they don't even know they exist. So our secure cloud product gives security visibility into what the DevOps teams are doing so that they can make sure that everything is being done securely and those zero trust tenants are being upheld even at the speed and agility of DevOps. And 
does the the tool also allow the flexibility of moving workloads around inside outside multiple cloud vendors all those kinds of things yeah absolutely one of the the core tenants that uh Tufin was built off of way back when it was just firewalls was being vendor agnostic so you could swap one firewall vendor for another and we can still manage those policies and we've carried that sort of that sort of requirement to the cloud. A lot of a lot of customers come to us and they say, hey, we're looking at migrating and it could be from one cloud vendor to another, or, or more commonly, they're looking at taking some on-premise applications and moving them to the cloud. And they want to be able to manage that that, that security evenly in, in both locations. And, and we can absolutely do that. Periods of change are, are obviously ripe with risk, right? And, and that is a time when your zero trust tenants can go out the window, either intentionally for you know the sake of speed or unintentionally just because something gets missed. So the ability to have those sort of compliance and that visibility while you're migrating is really critically important. What about aspects of third-party risk where you've got potentially a vendor connecting into your network through an IPsec tunnel or some sort of a VPN. How do you manage that? Yeah, we provide visibility into all of those policies, right? So if you need to open up a a tunnel for a vendor to have access, you'll have uh, visibility into those policies that are providing access. If somebody tries to perhaps create a policy to allow vendor access, and it violates either a regulatory requirement or a tenant of your zero trust program, they will be uh, immediately alerted that that potential policy will create uh, a violation. We also have the concept of uh, rule recertification. So oftentimes, especially when you talk about uh, vendor access, you'll have vendor access that's maybe required for uh, 30 days or, or 90 days or whatever period of time for the, the length of the project. But as often happens with other temporary policies, that gets forgotten. So we create the access and then we just forget to remove that after the 90 days. And that access is no longer required, but you still have that that exposure there. So we have the concept of rule recertification, which allows you to set sort of expiration dates on a uh, particular rule in your policy base. And after that period of time, that rule will come up for recertification. And you can go back to the person who, who requested that rule, the owner of that rule, and uh, and say, hey, well, does this vendor still need access or not? And that applies really just beyond the, uh, the vendor space, any policies, right? For applications, for uh, business processes, you can have a recertification that pops up. You go back to that application owner, every year, every two years, whatever your whatever your recertification requirement is and say, hey, is this policy still required? And it really helps you produce the policy base and, and make sure that you're not leaving these sort of vulnerabilities exposed when you don't need to. Yeah, that's an important capability that a lot of organizations overlook. I've done work for large organizations that ended up with millions of potential rules that they don't know what they're doing. They don't know if they're still needed and they have to go through a manual recertification process. And oftentimes an organization, if they're subject to PCI or other kind of financial controls, also has to justify every rule that's in every one of their firewalls, whether or not it's an internal process or an external vendor. You know, talk a little bit more about the enhanced governance and the capabilities that many organizations overlook that are granted by using a tool like Tufin. Yeah, you're absolutely right. In many cases, it's a a business requirement or a regulatory requirement, but it should always be a a security requirement to look at your policies periodically and say, hey, do we still need to provide 
this access. We've had customers onboarded who have reviewed their policy base with TOOF and, and literally removed tens of thousands of rules that were either no longer required or they were redundant rules, objects that were unused, right? It's that stuff that kind of clutters up your policy base and it, it may not be overtly risk, perhaps leaving something open for vendor access, but it creates complexity and complexity breeds the added risk that, that you don't necessarily think of in your environment. So we have the ability, as I mentioned, to do those rule recertifications so that you can help identify those rules that maybe are no longer needed, right? Because the business justification is no longer there. We have the ability to look at unused rules, looking at the hit count on rules and saying, hey, you have this rule here that hasn't been hit in over six months. Is this maybe something that we can put into the queue for cleanup? We also have the ability to look at that, again, that sort of stuff that, that clutters up the network, right? The the unused, the empty groups, things like that, or rules that are redundant. We, we call them shadowed rules in our products. So if you have one very broad policy and then another more granular policy that falls with underneath that broad policy, that second policy is never going to get hit. And that clutters up the network, but it also creates risk because when you go to remove that access, you might see that first overarching rule and you would just assume that that was the access and, and remove that policy, not realizing that there was a second redundant policy, which is now going to become active and, and provide access that you didn't intend to have. Yeah, I can see how that can cause some major inconveniences for an organization who's not properly tracking their rules. Thinking about what's been happening in, in the market and organizations starting, quote unquote, up from scratch many times with their cloud initiatives and building their security architectures from, from essentially a blank piece of paper, how would Tufin fit into that equation? And what kind of guidance would you ask or provide of somebody to to think about how they put together their future state security architecture. Yeah, if you're lucky enough to be starting from scratch, it's a, it's a great place to be. Those organizations that are just starting up now, who have the ability to start with a fresh slate, to look at building zero trust from the ground up and incorporating zero trust into the core of their network design, I think that's a, a fantastic approach. And you know, I wish we, we could all be that lucky. Most uh, most large enterprises, the network's maybe 20 years or, or more old. And so incorporating zero trust into something like that takes a lot more time and, and effort. If you're just starting from scratch or if you're completely re-architecting, making use of, of cloud resources where it's appropriate, where it makes sense, and uh, looking at technologies that can help enhance a, a zero trust program and, and technologies that are extensible, technologies that... Uh, can grow with your network and, and can evolve as, as zero trust evolves, right? Because uh, it's going to. Security is constantly evolving and, and zero trust is where we are now. And I think that's fantastic. And I absolutely believe in a zero trust approach, but that approach is going to evolve and change. And, and so we need to design our networks if we're now starting from scratch in a manner that is extensible and that can grow and can adapt as, as technology and the network and the business uh, evolves over time. Yeah, speaking of that, where do you think security architectures are going to go in the future? Are we going to continue to just refine zero trust or 
Do you think there's a possibility of another approach coming across or have you thought of or heard of another approach? Boy, if I could answer that for sure, I would be a very rich man. I think that Zero Trust is here to stay. I don't think Zero Trust is a fad. I think that Zero Trust is going to continue to evolve and we're probably going to see some new approaches to it. And quite frankly, that, that excites me. I can't wait to see where we get with, uh, with Zero Trust in the next five or 10 years. I think that the legacy technologies, the, the firewalls and things like that, the people see his legacy. I, I don't think those are going anywhere. I think we need to take a, a hybrid approach. We're always going to have an on-premise network that's going to need to support uh, some level of networking, whether you're fully in the cloud or, or not. That you, you've still got to have a, an office somewhere in most cases, even if that's just home offices. So I don't think firewalls are going away. I think that we need to find better ways to merge both approaches. And I think that's what we're trying to do here at Tufin is support the the on-premise network, work with those next-gen firewalls that are, are still securing the backbone of the enterprise network. Also looking at the new technologies like SASE and bringing those all together to, to really help form a, a comprehensive zero trust process. Very good points. We've all seen how the pandemic has kicked all of this process in high gear. What do you think are some of the gaps that are still missing in the marketplace, potentially from technology or from security approaches, to truly achieve the quote-unquote most secure zero-trust implementation? It's a good question. So I think balancing compliance and agility, as I mentioned, is, has always been a, a problem for us. As we move to cloud and, and DevOps, and you combine that with things like zero trust and the increase in regulatory requirements, I think that balance between security and, and agility has, that gap has widened, right? We often see security as the polar opposite of agility and enterprises struggle to find the right balance between the two. And I think that's going to continue to be a challenge. You know, the way we address that, obviously, is through our unified security policy, coupled with our, our automated policy design and, and provisioning. And that allows enterprises to really ensure the regulatory requirements and, and the zero trust requirements are being met while still meeting the agility requirements of the business. We have uh, an open set of APIs that allow integration into the CICD processes, as I mentioned. DevOps teams can continue to do what they do and, and really try to narrow that, that gap between compliance and agility. I think one of the other challenges that businesses face today is that they're still struggling to, to quantify and prioritize risk in a meaningful way. We, talk to security teams and risk management teams all the time, and, and they say, look, we're just overwhelmed with the amount of risk data we have. We have all these sources of risk data, but they really lack a, a common uh, method to contextualize all that data in a meaningful way that helps them make better risk decisions. So one of the things that we try to do is take our vast repository of network data because we really have unparalleled visibility into what's going on in your network and, and what security policies are controlling your network and try to make that available both to, to other solutions as well as taking other solutions data and, and enriching it. We have a solution called the Vulnerability Mitigation App, which I think is, is really exemplifies what, what I'm trying to get at here. It takes vulnerability data from vulnerability scanning solutions, the like Qualys, Tenable, Rapid7, those type of vendors, and we ingest that data and we take that data and we look at it from the network perspective and we can add, we contextualize that data and enterprises understand, look, 
you may have a very high CVSS score on this vulnerability, but you have a firewall in place that is blocking traffic to that port. So that contextually, that's not really exposed. But this medium severity vulnerability that is network exploitable is sitting in your DMZ and you have access uh, from the internet through your firewall to that. And so it really helps enterprises quantify risk and prioritize it, which I think is really something that we still struggle with. We've got a number of clients that are constantly struggling with the whole risk quantification. How much is it going to affect my organization? What is, what's my true risk? What's my dollar impact? How does TUFIN really allow an organization to get started on that journey? You mentioned the ability to integrate with these other tools, but from a first-time organization going out there to try to figure out what to do first in the organization from a security cleanup, from a risk quantification, from everything. Talk a little bit more about how Tufin really enables that first step and makes it relatively simple. Yeah, so I think the first step really for the vast majority of our customers is just gaining visibility into what's going on their network. I don't know how many times we've talked to customers who have said, wow, I didn't even realize that this stuff was here. I didn't even realize what was going on in my network. I didn't realize what my policy base really looked like. Getting started and, and just understanding sort of the, the risk landscape, if you will, is incredibly important. And, and from there, customers usually go to looking at cleanup and in those sort of that low-hanging fruit, right? Those things we talked about earlier, the shadowed rules, the, the duplicate objects, the empty objects, things like that. And that just helps you reduce the clutter. It, it reduces the confusion, it reduces the complexity, and really allows you to start focusing on optimizing your security policies. The next sort of step customers usually take is, is starting to define a unified security policy where they can really start to, to get down into what, what guardrails do I want in place on my network? What should be permitted? What shouldn't be permitted? What do I define as risk? What configurations do I think are risky? And what do I need to allow for business purposes? And start to define those and then start to identify the rules that violate those because there's gonna be rules in there that, that are gonna violate what you think you should have. And so going in and cleaning those up and it's, it can be a tedious process, but it's absolutely worth it. It's absolutely a, a huge step towards a more secure network and towards achieving that level of zero trust. And then from there, it's about maintaining, right? It's like exercise, right? You come up with goals, you come up with a plan, and you get there, and then you can't just go sit on the couch, right? It, it's about maintaining that state of security over time as things evolve. And sometimes that's where enterprises tend to struggle. And that's where our, our unified security policy and, and our automation products, Secure Change, can really help because we're incorporating those compliance checks into the change management process. Not only are we doing that, but we're reducing the human factor in a lot of it, right? Because we have the ability to automatically design changes, which, which can be reviewed by a human and there can be a manual review process, but we're looking at the security policy base and we're designing optimized policies and then we can provision those policies out so it reduces the, uh, the risk of, of human error that can introduce unintended consequences into the network. You made a very important point there at the beginning around visibility is the key to an organization. You can't control what you can't see. You can't write policies for what you don't understand, et cetera. The visibility means so much more than just knowing what's connected to your network. It's knowing about 
the data that's tra traversing your network. It's knowing about policies that might exist on your firewalls and your software-defined networks and whether or not they're being hit. It's visibility into the governance process and the audit process you were in com compliance process you were referring to. I think your your point around visibility being the very first step an organization should take is extremely important to mention. It is, it, and I think sometimes people underestimate the power that just having a certain level of visibility into what's going on can bring. A little bit of a, a personal story, I, my background is actually in incident response. I started in law enforcement and then went into incident response consulting for a, a global consulting company. And uh, so I experienced a lot of the challenges that the enterprises face firsthand in not knowing what's on the network and what's connected to what. I worked for a security orchestration company, and that's where I was first introduced to Tufin, and we created an integration with uh, Tufin that would allow the uh, security orchestration product to bring in uh, a lot of the network context and topology data. And my first thought was, wow, I, if I had only had something like this when I was doing incident response, because it can be such a challenge to, to address security and address potential security incidents when you don't have that context, when you don't have the visibility into what's actually going on in your network, it makes things extremely hard to control. It makes uh, security incidents much more difficult to adequately triage and prioritize and determine what the potential scope of an incident is. And obviously all of that goes back to zero trust and ensuring that we are enforcing our zero trust program across the entire network. And if we don't have visibility, there's no way that we can ensure that's taking place. Awesome. So in the Swiss army knife of cybersecurity tools with Tufin playing a very important role, what other kinds of tools do you think people should be considering for their arsenal? Zero trust is, I think, a layered approach, right? We always talked about defense in depth, and I, I don't know if people are still using that that terminology quite as much, but I think it absolutely applies to, to zero trust, right? Zero trust is not a, a single product. It's a philosophy. It's, uh, it's an approach that you take to security. And uh, so as a result, you need to look at, at multiple layers of security, right? You need to look at uh, security from multiple aspects so you can look at the network capabilities that Tufin has. There's some great endpoint zero trust tools out there that can help you really provide very granular control from the endpoint level over who can talk to who and, and what can talk to what. And, and those products we don't see as competitive at all. I think they're absolutely a great complement to, to our solution. Uh, the ones that we are looking at integrating with because I think it makes a lot of sense. I think there's a lot of joint value that we can add in both directions. So I think looking at zero trust from different, different aspects, the network, the endpoint, the data is very important. And, and what individual solutions each enterprise uses to, to, to enforce zero trust is going to depend very much on their use cases, right? A financial institution is going to have very different zero trust requirements and very different needs in a, in a particular vendor solution than maybe somebody in the energy sector. But I think we need to, the different angles from that we're approaching a zero trust program from network, data, applications, endpoint, things like that, and then figure out what solutions make sense for you. Where's the greatest risk? What do you need to address from each of those components to, to really ensure that zero trust is being adhered to? Awesome. I know I've said this many times to many people. I, I think it's 
great that organizations like Tufan exist, helping companies really through the struggle of governance and visibility and control. I think it's awesome that you guys are out there. Anything else that you wanted to share with the audience? This has been great. I've really enjoyed our, our conversation. Like at the end of the day, when done right, I think Zero Trust can really has the potential to fundamentally change the way we're approaching security. And I think it'll have a very positive impact on risk management and business agility. As vendors, I think Zero Trust is going to have a, a huge impact on the solutions that we bring to market. And I think Tufin's positioned uniquely well to, to help our customers transition to a zero trust framework and, and maintain that zero trust over time, which I think is arguably maybe more difficult <laughs> is to maintain that over time. But no, I've really enjoyed this and I, I appreciate your time today. Thanks, John. Thanks for listening to this episode of Demystifying Zero Trust. We hope you found the content both interesting and insightful. Subscribe to this podcast to continue to explore why and how organizations should adopt Zero Trust.